Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, March 11th, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories in the world, in the entire world. Brought to you by me, James Renner. Hey, some good news. Uh, At the top of the show, I'm on TikTok. I did it. I joined the new generation. You can find me on TikTok at the James Renner. Somebody else had already taken James Renner. It's bullshit, man. So I, I went with the James Renner. I didn't. I didn't. I don't like numbers at the end or anything like that. So uh, that's where you'll you'll find me. Check it out. I do some true crime book reviews and other funny stuff that you might not expect. Um. So yeah, I'm still trying. I'm still figuring it out. Still checking it out. I'm not exactly sure how I'll use it, but but there, there it is on, on TikTok. If you notice something a little strange with my voice this week. Uh, I'm recovering from very nasty little virus that's been passed around the uh, middle schools out here in Northeast Ohio. I've got a couple kids still in school. These, you know, they have classes with these these gross little kids that wipe snot all over anything and pass this stuff. Anyways, we all got sick. We all got hit with it. And I think I slept for like 16 hours yesterday. I'm all hopped up on NyQuil and stuff. So, um... Uh, if I sound a little bit more like Kermit the Frog this week, that's why. I'm trying to power through, just like all of us. It's not COVID, thank God. Um, it's weird to get sick with, like, a common cold after all, you know, this quarantine the last couple of years. But, yeah, it's still out there. Um, some weird top stories this week. Sherry Papini has been arrested. Oh, my God. I didn't think we'd ever see the, like, the the, the closure of this case. Do you remember this? Um, she was the she was the young woman who disappeared a few years ago and then showed up about two weeks later saying she'd been kidnapped. Anyways, let me get to that. Uh, the FBI agents arrested Sherry Papini last Thursday, late last Thursday, uh, past the deadline of true crime this week. Um, 
So I'm reporting it to you this week, and there's there's more to it since then. So they, the FBI arrested Sherry last Thursday, five and a half years after she was found on the side of the interstate in California, claiming she'd been kidnapped and tortured for weeks. You've seen her picture, you know, the smiling, pretty, blonde, young woman, a hiker, you know, with the mountains behind her. The FBI charged her with wire fraud and lying to authorities. It's kind of what we all suspected all along, right? I just didn't expect her to be arrested for it. Sacramento Bee, a newspaper, has an excellent rundown of the chain of events that led to last week's arrests. You can find it in the liner notes at the end. This all started November 2nd, 2016. Can't believe it's been that long. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, right? In the before times. November 2nd, 2016, Sherry Papini went for a jog in the afternoon. She never returned home. She didn't pick up her four-year-old daughter or two-year-old son from daycare, and that's when family members and her husband started to be concerned, reported her missing. Her husband, Keith, was the one to locate her phone. He used that Find My Phone app, and her cell phone was lying on the side of a rural road north of Redding. That does not look good, right? Family said from the very beginning, obviously she was taking, taken against her will. She would never leave on her own. This must be an abduction. Then 22 days later, the morning it was, it was the morning of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving morning. Sherry was found on the side of a highway, 146 miles away from where she disappeared. She flagged down a driver at 4.30 a.m. on I-5 in Yolo County, California. She told authorities that she'd been held captive by two Hispanic women who kept her in a closet and made her use a bucket filled with kitty litter as a toilet. They cut off her hair, branded her, broke her nose, and told her, everybody thinks you ran away. Nobody will believe you. Guess what? The buyer's a cop. They were trying to tell her that, you know, her story was that she'd been kidnapped and she was going to be human trafficked to the top buyer, and and the top buyer was allegedly a cop. But uh, when she was found, she refused to speak with the real police, so the police had her husband record an interview with her. Family later on blamed internet trolls for all these rumors that she had disappeared on her own and had made this all up. The Sacramento Bee, though, found some very odd details as they went digging into, into... the the events leading up to her disappearance, they found a 2003 incident report from Sherry's own mother. And in this report, she alleged that Sherry had been hurting herself and blaming it on her, her mother, making up these stories. Well, the police did a little more investigative work. They found male DNA on her underwear that did not match her husband's. They entered it into CODIS, didn't get a match, which isn't surprising, CODIS is a very, very small system. If you haven't been in trouble, your, your DNA is not going to be in there in the first place. And uh, it appears that they may have used genetic genealogy very recently to solve this case because something led them, some sort of match led them to Sherry's ex-boyfriend, a guy who'd been living in Costa Mesa. They took, uh, they, they kind of surveilled this ex-boyfriend for a while, waited until he took out the trash, then took out a, um, an honest honey green tea bottle from his trash, swiped it for DNA, 
you know, the top where you put it in your mouth, and took the sample to the lab, and it came back as a match for the DNA they had found on Sherry's underwear. So, of course, they went in, showed them what they had, the proof, and this ex-boyfriend gave her up, told him all about it. He said he'd helped her run away and hide in 2016 because she had told him that her husband was abusive and the cops wouldn't do anything to help her. However, that seems to be another made-up story because there are no police reports to back that up. Probably another lie. She stayed with him all that time. Now, she's charged with mail fraud because she collected $30,000 after she was returned, after she came back. She collected $30,000 from the California's Victims' Compensation Board, part of uh, which she used to purchase new blinds for her windows. Don't compound your troubles, man. You know, she was lucky that, she was lucky that most people believed her when she came back and then she went and stole this money. Man. Um, she was arrested last week right outside her child's piano lesson. She is alleged to have run from the FBI. Where was she going? I, I don't know. Throwing her phone in the process. She was released from jail this Tuesday, just a couple days ago, Tuesday afternoon. The prosecutors tried to argue she's a flight risk, that she'll do anything not to not to be pulled back into this trial. Uh, the judge overruled them. She had to post a $120,000 bond. Uh, it's an absolutely ridiculous case. I'm very sad, but there's obviously more going on here. Um, and uh, you know, certainly, I saw some footage today. She was coming out of the courthouse after she was released from jail and just mobbed by reporters, people running after her, shouting questions. Not all of these looked like uh, real journalists either. It looked like you might have had some armchair sleuths out there with their cell phones. Nobody needs to run this woman down. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a Netflix series about this. I'm sure it's going to turn into other podcasts as as this winds up. So, you know, just give her give her some space. She is a she is a human, flawed as we all are. But what a story! Another story this week. Uh, the uh, this the first U.S. Capitol trial happened. This is the the first January sixth insurrectionist to go on trial. Uh, was found guilty of five felonies this week on Tuesday, according to CNN. Now, most of these guys have already pleaded to, like, stay out of uh, prison as much as possible or reduced sentence because they know they've been caught. They're on video. There's not much wiggle room there. They tried to overthrow the government, so they're taking these pleas so that they don't end up in prison for the rest of their lives. This guy said, no, I'm not going to take the plea. I'm going to take it to trial. So let's roll the dice. Well, he was found guilty after only four hours of deliberation. That is how concrete these cases are. This guy was named uh, Guy Rafit. Or Rafit. Guy was a member of uh, the domestic terrorist organization known as the Three Percenters. Uh, they want to overthrow our government. Prosecutors alleged he himself was one of the ones who actually led the charge into the Capitol, engaging with police. He had armed himself illegally, brought guns into the Capitol. He had zip ties to detain people, you know, so he could make citizens' arrests. Have you ever met somebody that made a citizen's arrest, by the way? They're all weirdos, absolute weirdos. 
Let the police do their, their job. Anyway, so he had zip ties to detain people, probably people like, you know, Nancy Pelosi. Thank God they didn't get that far. Um, yeah, and he admitted this over text to his family. Uh, in one text, it said, I had every constitutional right to carry a weapon and take over Congress as we tried to do. Hmm. I don't know that you'd put that on a text message. Anyways, even his son testified against him. Said his father, he'd watched his father kind of, you know, get pulled into these conspiracy theories in this domestic terrorist organization. Very sad. Uh, Rafit faces up to 20 years in prison when he's sentenced June 8th. We'll see how that goes. His wife was out there talking to people after the, after he was found guilty, telling the other three percenters not to take the deal, to make them all go to trial. This is, uh, you know... You just can't, you can't logic with some people, I guess. It's, uh, I think we're going to look back on this as a sad case of mass hysteria. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's a weird moment in history, right? Uh, hey, I've got something new for you guys to worry about. Ghost guns. You're going to hear more about this in, in the coming years, I'm sure. Uh, ghost guns, not like what you're thinking like with ghostbusters and the proton pack and that's not what we mean by ghost guns um ghost guns meaning guns that you can print out at home see the crime rate in america has steadily fallen since the early 1990s you know that you look at these stats and you see the crime rate in the early 90s it started to fall down there's lots of reasons for that um one of them actually is we stopped using leaded gasoline and that lead was getting into i'm i'm serious about this the lead would get into people's brains. They'd inhale this stuff, and it would make it would affect the regions of your brain that regulate decision making and made us more hostile. Uh, we got rid of that. It would it dipped down. Well, now the crime rate is inexplicably rising again, and some police in New York believe that part of the blame should be placed on these ghost guns. Ghost guns are made on three D printers at home in apartments, manufactured. Wherever you live, if you have a computer and a 3D printer, each gun costs about $500 to make and can be sold for $1,500 on the street. They're untraceable. Of course, there's no serial numbers because you've printed them out at home. This is a quote from uh, CBS News by uh, John Miller, the uh, New York Police Department's Deputy Commissioner for Intelligence and Counterterrorism. Says Miller, today people can sit at home in their living room, log on to their computer, access a piece of software, send a signal to their printer, and print out a machine gun that can kill people. That's a problem. That's an understatement. Last week they uh, arrested 30-year-old Deontay Haynes in Brooklyn, who had printed out some guns of his own. And... This is these are here's some stats from the New York, uh, from Manhattan, New York City. The, the, these are the number of ghost guns they found in recent years. They found 47 of these ghost guns in 2019. In 2021, how many do you think they found? 375. 375 ghost guns. They're being printed everywhere. How in the world do you even outlaw this? How do you regulate this? When you can do this through like a, a tour server using the dark web. Anyways, all this and more in next month's issue of 
We're Totally Fucked magazine. I'll be right back uh, with cold case updates and a couple uh, genetic genealogy solves that are pretty interesting. Be back in two and two. And welcome back to Scarecrow and Mrs. King, starring Kate Jackson. An update in a very sad story out of New South Wales, that's Australia, if you're keeping track. This involves the disappearance of three-year-old William Tyrell, which we've covered on the show before. This is the young kid who was playing at his at the home of his foster grandmother's house in, in the countryside out there. He had been wearing a Spider-Man suit, playing hide-and-seek, acting like Spider-Man. Disappeared, the foster mother said. Just up and disappeared. No idea what happened to him. They've been searching for him ever since. And uh, there was, it was a really big case out there. Um, a million-dollar reward had been offered. Then in November 2021, media reported that police were now treating his foster mother as a person of interest in the case and investigating the possibility that he didn't disappear or walk away on his own, that he fell from a balcony, died, and that it was all a cover-up. Now, this is still unverified, but they have um, said this in the media. The media had reported on it. This is a very quickly developing story. In February, the foster mother was charged with assault in an unrelated case. This was not an assault against Tyrell, but another person. Just this week, the foster father was charged with giving false and misleading evidence to the police while investigating this case. So what they've done is they've charged the foster mother with assault and the foster father with giving false evidence. They're both uh, facing upcoming uh, upcoming trials. Why would they do this? Well, you charge both because you only need one to roll. Only need one to tell the real story. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty classic maneuver. We'll see if it works out for them. Uh, you know, whatever the whatever the end result is, this is not going to be a, a happy ending. But hopefully, there'll be some closure for this three-year-old boy. Some genetic genealogy news. There's been a couple solves this week. There's this 1994 cold case from the Coachella Valley. Have you guys ever been to Coachella? I've never been myself. I always wanted to go. Last, The last concert I've seen, actually, is Pink Floyd at the Muni Stadium in Cleveland back in 1993. That's how often I get out. Um, I have to go see a concert this summer. Anyways, there's this cold case from Coachella Valley. It's been solved this week, thanks to genetic genealogy. 39-year-old Cherry Huss was found dead inside her Desert Hot Springs apartment 28 years ago after being stabbed to death and bitten by her killer, reports KTLA. This week, police announced they had arrested 48-year-old Sharon Eugene Gadlin. Now, Sharon, uh, typically a woman's name, it, in this case it is a man, Sharon Eugene Gadlin was arrested. He lived 12 miles from the scene of the killing at the time. Detectives got a saliva sample they didn't have to, like, like like in that other case, they didn't wait for him to throw a, a bottle away and then get it. They knocked on the door and said, hey, give us a sample of your saliva. And he did. That was on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Bummer, right? Uh, he, he must have been sweating it since then. 
Four days later, they got a match. They arrested the man on March 4th. Now, that's a very particular M.O. there, stabbing a woman to death and biting her. Is this the only crime he's committed? Well, now now that sample goes into CODIS, and if he's committed other crimes in California, it's going to pop up, so we'll see. Uh, Othram Labs, hey, my voice just cracked. Ah, uh, puberty, here we go. Um, Othram Labs got another solve this week. This happened, this is a case from Kitsap County, Washington. Man, I see Kitsap County like every other week on this show. What's going on up there? Is there something in the water? 1995 case, 61-year-old Patricia Lorraine Barnes. Her body was found in a ditch up there in Kitsap County. She lived in Seattle, last seen August 22, 1995. She'd been shot in the head, left naked, covered by a sleeping bag. At the time, Patricia was living um, in homeless shelters, bouncing back and forth. She was known around the shelters as the towel lady. She had a habit of wrapping a towel around her, her head. Um... Somebody murdered her violently. Serial killer Robert Lee Yates was a person of interest for a time, but it was excluded. It was found out he was in Alabama at the time of the murder. Well, now they believe, because of the genetic genealogy math match from Othram, the likely killer is one Douglas Keith Crone, who was 33 years old at the time of the murder. Uh, but he's not going to face a trial because he died already. In Arizona, how did he die? He was electrocuted to death, as if he'd been sentenced and tried and, and put on the chair anyways. He was electrocuted, though, while installing a TV antenna that hit power lines. God does have a sense of humor sometimes, I think. Looking at uh, true crime and pop culture, I hope everybody's watching The Thing About Pam this week. NBC has gotten into the true crime genre finally with this new series starring Renee Zellweger. She's almost completely unrecognizable. She's playing a real-life woman named Pam Hupp. Um, Zellweger, I mean, obviously shooting for some Emmys here. Uh, just from the trailer, she looks amazing. Um, amazingly weird, that is, but the acting is spot on. This is a very twisty and convoluted story about Pam Hupp. And this woman, uh, she lived in O'Fallon, Missouri at the time, and murders began stacking up around her. The seemingly innocent woman who sipped from big gulp cups just seemed like a typical woman from O'Fallon, Missouri. Uh, but everybody started dying around here, so police started investigating. And yeah, it looks like she's probably guilty of a lot of things. Um, proving that women can be serial killers, too. Very, very rare, but... Uh, it does happen. Let's check the true crime charts on Chartable.com. Things have moved around this week. Uh, at number one, the podcast, The Thing About Pam, got a boost thanks to the series, knocking a Crime Junkie down to number two. At number six is What Happened to Sandy Beal. This sounds interesting. I might have to check this out. This is a Maryland case, a young woman uh, ruled suicide, but the family thinks murder. Here's the write-up. What happened to Sandy Beal investigates the violent death of a young woman who dreamed of a career in law enforcement. The search for answers leads to accusations of conspiracy and cover-up that have haunted her family for more than 40 years. Investigative journalist Melissa Jeltsin 
untangles the mystery at the heart of the case and reveals a troubling pattern of behavior behavior by local police. Uh, good to see it. Uh, my favorite murder, number 10. Haven't seen them on the charge for a little bit. Um, they're back at number 10, my favorite murder. And that's the, that's the news for this week in true crime. Uh, join me after the show on Repod, the Repod app, as always, to talk about uh, anything you want to talk about. You know? What, you know, what, whatever's going on in your life. You ask Dr. James. Vitamin J. I'll help you out. Um, and remember to check out TikTok. And I'll be back next week, as always. In the meantime, it's, <laughs> there's reason to celebrate. It is Friday, after all. In the words of the incomparable... Murray Saul. That means we gotta, 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 what? Get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib please check out my other podcast philosophy of crime unless quoted directly from a source all content should be considered the opinion of the host that's me james renner see you next week When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.